people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with director Mark Shapiro. He is one of two directors of the new film Downwind. It is a documentary that is really pretty important. It is all about the many, many nuclear tests that have taken place in the U.S. and the effect that it's had on the environment and, moreover, on the people that live in the area's just downwind of those nuclear tests. The film will be having its premiere screening at Slam Dance down in Park City, Utah on January 23rd, 2023. If you can make it, I highly recommend that you do so. Otherwise, keep an eye out and I will be sure to give updates on where it is available, where you can find it, what other festivals it is at. By the way, this is all one word downwind. It is not the two word documentary about Ontario's wind farms. So just to keep that in mind. All right, enjoy the interview and please check out Downwind when it is available near you. I am so excited to talk to you about Downwind, but I'm so curious about your past. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into filmmaking? And actually specifically with my co-director, Douglas Brand Miller, we worked together in 2005, as far back even before that, on making mini docs. So we did a lot of Many documentary films for a lot of different clients like Starbucks and PricewaterhouseCoopers. We did these um, interesting little tidbits, things that talked about the company, the the corporate structure and and things within the companies. And so we love the idea of storytelling. So we really tried to dig deep in, into this. We were working with an organization called the Monster Diversity Leadership Program. And this is a program that went around to campuses all over the country for Monster.com with, with high-level rising juniors in college change makers. And we really got into the storytelling of those people. And so it was on more of a corporate level, but we really got into the idea of telling great, great stories. And that was something that was really important to us. And how did you and, and Douglas Brian Miller even connect and start doing this? We did. We connected through monster.com. That was where we were both. I was working with media and Doug was doing um, sort of DP slash director stuff or videos and things like that. And so that's how we, that's how we met. And um, we, we've done a lot of projects that that were, in addition to the corporate ones, we did we did some fun little individual ones and um, worked on a couple of things together before we uh, really got going on this one. So obviously his years and years and years of DP experience and directing experience in my production and directing experience has a lot to do with that. Hopefully the success of a film when you have two, two directors who are working um, so closely together know each other so well. When did the idea for Downwind come to you guys? It was a few years ago. We'd had cancer. It impacted both of our families and, you know, trying to figure out a research, the development of cancer, how it happens. It obviously impacts everyone. Everyone is impacted by cancer. It's one of those, it's one of those unfortunate things. And I think we were interested in sort of learning more about how, you know, the different types of developments of cancer and, and how it impacts our country. In, in some of our research, then we, we kind of 
did sort of a zoom in uh, using a lens metaphor on what happened in St. George, Utah with the film The Conqueror. That was almost our initial sort of foray into this because we'd read about the cancer that had allegedly impacted that production um, in St. George. And the fact that it was John Wayne was interesting to us because we'd heard through that People Magazine article that we found from 1980 that talked to, you know, he in the article they said, did America kill John Wayne? And that was interesting. Well, you know, we looked into that. We know he knew he was a big smoker and things like that, but did his time on the, on the Conqueror impact production? And did it impact, did production impact cancer? And so we, we, we looked into that and we, as we, we delved deeper into the research and seeing that the, not only John Wayne, but the director of the film and the co-stars and key grips and other people on the, on the production had also allegedly suffered and been exposed to cancer on the Conqueror. We thought that was interesting. And then the final note about John Wayne was we sort of saw John Wayne as almost an iconic representation of America. He felt like the all American brazen brash, you know, an individual that was, you know, bigger than life. And this obviously is a disease that doesn't recognize, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be impacted by it. So John Wayne is, is sort of a, a, an iconic symbol of, of the way that cancer can impact all, all Americans, all, all global citizens. It's so sad as well that so many of the people that are affected are Native Americans and just that it's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because it's taking place someplace else, taking place in a a wasteland, quote unquote, and who cares about the people that are there anyway? They shouldn't be there, basically, is what the attitude feels like. Yeah, that's an excellent point. So as we as we looked further and realized that the land had, on which they were doing their testing was deeded Shoshone Nation territory, and we actually reached out to that community and found Ian Zabarte, you know, the principal man of the um, Western bands of the Shoshone Nation of Indians, and Ian became an important part of this film for that very reason. Claudia Peterson at the beginning of the film talks about how the detonations impacted the quote-unquote low-use segment of the population, and we were thinking to ourselves, you know, what, what does that mean? And that it became a deeper, a deeper sort of discussion about how can anybody be referred to as that disrespectfully? And even further, as we looked, going back to The Conqueror for a moment, when, when that production was impacted by... Dirty Harry was the name of the blast. It was an atomic blast that had taken place before production. They were surprised by the way the winds had shifted and then had to warn the people in St. George. What we found interesting was, well, they were warning them of something. And so if it didn't go to St. George, it goes somewhere else. And what about those other hundreds of detonations that had taken place? Were people being warned? Was this was this something that, you know, was was part of what they were doing? They knew that there was something going on. So the fact that it that it went, it, it's going to go somewhere. So obviously um, it was devastating to St. George, but it's also devastating to any part of the environment that the, where the fallout travels. Well, and I knew that they had set off some atomic bombs. I didn't realize that it was what, 924 atomic bombs over uh, like a 50 year period. Technically it's 928, 828 of those were done underground. And a hundred of them were done above, detonated above ground, sometimes from balloons or towers. And it is, it is kind of a remarkable number. And I, just about everybody that we, that we come into contact with is surprised by the number of detonations. We learned about Alamogordo or Trinity. We learned about the Manhattan Project as students and things like that and growing up. But I don't think this was something that people were really 
really aware of. And that, again, to us was eye-opening. And so we embarked on this journey of discovery to figure out, okay, eight, 928 nuclear detonations in Nevada, in this one, you know, one location of Nevada, pretty small, you know, not a, if you, if you think of it in terms of the size of the, the country and everything, it's a, it was a, you know, not a huge area, but they, they detonated this, this number of bombs. And that was, that was troubling to us and also worth more consideration. The effects of radiation seem to have been lost on us over the years. I don't know what shifted, but when I was growing up, radiation was a major concern. Nuclear war was a major concern. And now in films, it's like, oh, this nuclear bomb went off 20 miles off the coast. I'm like, well, that's a really big deal. You know, this is not something to be trifled with. And, you know, showing the effects of these blasts in the immediate. And then I love the metaphor of, all of the generations after are also downwind. It's not just the the immediate people. It's not the, just the immediate place, but it's all of those people that get affected years and years after that. The news cycle is at twenty four hours, maybe, and we we move on to the next thing, whatever it is. And it's it's surprising to us how little was known to your point, and and that that it had been going on for so long forty years nineteen nineteen fifty one to nineteen ninety two technically. And I think uh, it's another surprise. A lot of our, the people that we interviewed, I have a book, the United States nuclear tests. It was something released from the department of energy, United States of America department of energy that was handed out to journalists. And I actually, Keith Rogers, who was one of the people we interviewed for this film, gave this to me or loaned it to me. And it goes through every one of the tests. And if you, they told us about it. And they also had those films that were created through Lookout Mountain Labs that talked about um, that we've seen like maybe in newsreels or footage. It's all, it's all there. But like you said, it's, it sort of falls off the 24 hour news cycle because something else comes into play, whether that's entertainment or something else takes the front page of the major news outlets. What we wanted to do with this film was to make sure that people of all political backgrounds would be interested in talking about, it because, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican an independent, a libertarian, we felt like it was important to for people to be able to sit in the same room and, and watch this movie. And because it's something we don't see as political, we see it as something as newsworthy and interesting. As Americans, I think we all appreciate what we get to do. And and part of that is due to being a quote unquote superpower. But what's what is the what's the global cost of being a superpower? What is the global responsibility of being a superpower? Those these are issues that we wanted to to raise consciousness about. And that that was part of the, you know, some of the reasons why we wanted one of this story to be talked about, let people talk about it, you know, and ask those questions. Well, even stepping back a little bit, I mean, how do you even approach shaping this story, researching this story and coming up with this wonderful documentary? We initially were looking at what had gone on in St. George and what had happened in, in to the Shoshone nation. And then things, as we, we look to the number of people that we wanted to talk to, you know, we have a list of hundreds of people that, you know, were on our list, a wish list that we could talk to. And we really wanted to talk to people who were most impacted by this and who could really raise a voice who wouldn't in the past hadn't necessarily raised a voice about what had been happening or through their communities. They're the people that were, that were the ones who were, who were speaking. That's why we initially went to Claudia Peterson as a downwinder from St. George. And then we talked to Mary Dixon, who's also down under from Salt Lake. And then Ian Zabarte was, was critical, as you mentioned, to the film as a Native American, because he could speak about the deeded land that was still being restricted to this day is still restricted. 
Darlene Graham, who is a Shoshone Nation healer, who had witnessed the blast. You know, she said she grew up hearing this great big boom that was, they could hear it. And she lived in Duckwater, Nevada. And they would go outside and they would look up and see this mushroom cloud. Imagine, imagine that. And again, looking deeper as we, as we researched and looked at this incredible collection of still and film of the detonations and they're there you do you can't take your eyes off of it it is something so powerful when you see this you know this mushroom cloud um it's the power of it so initially we, we thought about okay how can we tell the story that that raises consciousness you know we're not supposed to create dialogue about what's happening and we don't feel like it's a closed story that it's continually changing a lot of the people that we got in the film as for interviews or our narrator, Martin Sheen, were people that we saw as critical because Martin Sheen was with Ian Zabarte at the test site. And so you could say that's coincidental, but it's also, it's all sort of interrelated. You know, Ian is connected to Mary, he happens to know Mary and he knows Claudia, but they know each other from places that they've gone throughout the world protesting, um, testing. The other thing we also wanted to really talk about with this film was we looked at the that we, we looked at the direction was the idea of activist patriots in the United States. And again, this is not something that is necessarily related to, you know, a Democrat or Republican or independent or any other branch of how you feel. It just becomes something about, you know, your, your thoughts about how it's impacting you. Everybody has a, has a story to tell. We wanted to kind of make sure that they, they were able to, to tell their story. Those folks from those communities, Native Americans, the community of Latter-day, you know, the, the Latter-day Saint or Mormon community, the individuals who lived sort of ranchers and the individuals didn't really speak up against government. And so they became, as Claudia says, almost perfect victims of this, where, you know, this could happen and nobody's saying anything. So it was kind of what we wanted to do with this film is to get it out there and then almost take a step back and let let them tell their story. I know that you've done the smaller documentaries in the past, but to do this feature, I mean, you haven't directed a feature documentary before, have you? Doug has directed a couple features before this, and I had started. I had started as a producer for this, and then, I mean, it was just it was it became such a passion over the last few years that not only was I you know working with writing, but also direction. So that's why we're, we're co-directors. But Doug Doug has a Netflix documentary now. It's called Why Did You Kill Me? It's on Netflix. He also did one on comics. Um, and then, so he has experience with that and he's constantly actually shooting um, documentaries in his, his other world, his other life, his day job. To take on a documentary of this scope was a massive challenge on so many levels, especially this is, you know, we, we were getting into early research and things like that, obviously before the pandemic, but then to get into the pandemic, you know, having to shoot with a skeleton crew, but again, capturing things, I think beautifully, I think the it was really important for us to show the beauty of the land too. Land and soil, there's nothing more important. And so when you go to that that part of the country, you know, Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, it's 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 almost like the landscape speaks for itself. It's it's remarkably beautiful. When you juxtapose that with the mushroom cloud, it becomes it's awe-inspiring and and in a way that's hard to explain because you see the power of something in one area and but just all of that sort of coming together helped us put the story together. Did doing this during the pandemic, did that also increase your reliance on the stock footage? Not to complain, because I think the stock footage is fantastic and you use it very judiciously. I think that we like 
the balance of stock footage versus with ours because we feel like it 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 had its place. I think I don't think the pandemic really stopped us from that because we were able to get out and travel, you know, throughout the West, just, you know, individually. Um, the two of us are with a very small crew, sometimes a few of us. The stock footage that we used, most of it from Lookout Mountain Lab, is tells its own story. We almost didn't have to, you know, add too much to the narration because it tells a story. And whether you view that view that as propaganda or news is sort of in the, in the eye of we wanted to put it out there so people saw that the way things were positioned was important because I feel like that was also part of what was going on with the detonations. Surprising there were so many going on. Would it be surprising for you to hear at Lookout Mountain that they made thousands and thousands of these films and stills and employed Disney animators and employed, who was one of the largest studios in Hollywood at the time, Lookout Mountain Labs. So it's a, that became another interesting thing for us because we thought we knew everything. And here we come across this incredible studio in Laurel Canyon, you know, it's in Hollywood and it was making the Cold War dialogue that was sort of controlling the, the narrative of the Cold War dialogue from a from United States perspective, you know, films made by Department of Defense and Atomic Energy Commission that were educational. And I think they, they viewed that as educational. And by the way, in some of the films, like in St. George, we spoke to people in St. George that talked, oh yeah, they knew some of the people that were in the film, you know, some of the extras that you see, they weren't all actors but they were in there shooting. And and so they were chronicling what was going on, but there definitely was a narrative and there definitely was a POV and they were, they were utilizing top-notch directors to tell the story. So that becomes another level of what was going on with, with the detonations. You know, it's one thing to have science and researchers conducting what they did, but there's also a quote-unquote media or marketing side to this that was a powerful, powerful machine. Well, speaking of media, I'm hoping that the synchronicity of downwind and then the oppenheimer film are going to help you out and that idea of how awesome the atomic blast is without the discussion of the radiation that follows is useless this is another example and you're bringing up this a lot in which you asked about how the film came to be there were so many again i don't want to call them coincidences because i feel like things were interrelated but the fact that oppenheimer was coming out and we didn't know about this when we started the film we didn't know about oppenheimer and then the fact Matthew Modine, who is in the movie, is a, is our executive producer, and we're hoping that the, that there will be some timing and, and connections between those films because obviously it's a little bit different because that's more of a, a scripted piece that they've created. Ours is a, is a full documentary, but still does tell a story. And then, by the way, the branches that we went off into Oppenheimer and into Edward Teller and into you know Truman and Eisenhower and you know, the Russian leaders and things like that. It's all very, very interesting. And then we could have made several different films and maybe that's a, we're looking at doing something similar with our next film um, that's somewhat related. There are so many little coincidences or, or things that happened that, that were great and really fed into the creation of our material. So when did you get picture lock for this or is it still a little bit in progress? We're still in progress. We obviously were premiering at Slamdance and then we're, we're working with a couple of different potential distributor partners. I can't say more than that yet. So we'll find out exactly when when that'll happen, when release will happen. But our website and our social media, which should be updated with all the information of that. And hopefully we'll have more as we as we kind of get into the the release of the film. So Slam Dance was important to us as a place to release because it's a film festival that we really believe in. It's a filmmakers festival for filmmakers and it's in Utah. And the timing was remarkable. The fact that several of our 
people that are in the film can drive to Park City to be able to take place, to be able to take part in questions and answers. And also we, we Slam Dance has given us one hour panel on the same day to sort of talk about, you know, what, what's next and, and what is a downwinder and, and what can we do next? Like what, what's, what's next on the horizon? So we're really thrilled about that. So that Slam Dance becomes our first, hopefully of many places that we're going to be showcasing before it's available on another platform. I don't like to throw this word around the word important, but this feels like a very important film. And this is one of those films that I really feel like everybody should see everybody who's not just a U.S. citizen, but just everyone around the world just needs to see this and understand what has come before and yeah, where we're at now. And then to your point, where are we going from here? Because that is just such a huge story that I just don't think a lot of people really understand. And I'm so glad that you were able to put it in such a plain unadorned, very easy to digest way in a super effective and gorgeous documentary. We hope that people do see it. We hope people do talk about it. And I think it's interesting about a film, position this film to what it is now, you know, going from, like we said, the zoom out to the activist patriot, to the hopeful conclusion at the end, where we talk about what, what Ian has meant to the, to the world, what Claudia has meant to the world, what Mary has meant to the world. Those are things that are really important to us. The the idea that this is an ongoing, ongoing thing, like you mentioned, it's not only impacting future generations, but obviously the past generations. And there's this whole debate about RECA, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, which is a congressional act that is supposed to sunset next year. And that protects just three states and remote counties in three states of Nevada, Arizona, and Utah. But we feel like we're all downwinders, you know, and and not only should we do we feel like the legislation should be increased and and the amount of time increased, but also just the expansion of funding, you know, fifty thousand dollars, a one time lump sum of fifty thousand dollars is what they call it. And that to us is something that as as Americans we need to take care of each other. And hopefully that also that message is gets across and, and the the people can see that it really is important because we're 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 supporting each other. The RICA RICA Act was something that we obviously learned about and and we go into detail about it in the film. I don't think people obviously many most are not aware of the detonations, but then what happens afterwards? How how do we take care of each other after something, you know, this significant occurs? And it's it's through education and legislation and funding. Well, Mark, thank you so much for making this film. Please thank your co-director for me as well. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. I, I appreciate your time too and your thoughts about it. And, and it's if it hits you the way we, we hope it did, then and, and that's an indication of, of what others will take from this film, then, then we're thrilled. And it's, it's what we want to do, raise consciousness. And, and I really, really thank you for your time.
a box again There was a big black soul And it took me in I'm staying down I'm staying down I'm staying down I'm staying down. 